Hello, you are listening to Paper Cuts, and I'm your host, Christopher Cardenbigas. This episode, our third recorded live at the Washington Project for the Arts, features Suzanne Gold of the collaborative project Pear Club, Alana Reeves, the founder of Hue, and Alex Weiss, a DC-based zinester. This conversation was recorded on May 25th, and as has become a tradition of our recordings at the the WPA, there were some microphone issues, but the great Jennifer Lewis kept the recording together with our backup mic, and I'm really happy with how this all turned out. This was a really fun conversation, so give it a listen. Um, Papercuts has been hosted by the Washington Project for the Arts to curate the ongoing bookshelf project that's over here to our, to our left. And as part of that, we've um, brought in a collection of zines and comics and small press work from people uh, primarily within the DMV, but following I-95 from Richmond up through Philadelphia. And this is the third in a live podcast recording here at the WPA. All of these are being released um, at papercutszines.com, as well as anywhere where you would like to download your podcast from. Uh, they are up on iTunes now, as well as Anchor. Um, and yeah, our, our, our first recording is actually up and live now. So if you missed our first recording with Gender Fail in February, you can listen to that uh, online. But without further ado, um, our guests here tonight are Suzanne Gold, coming here from Baltimore, representing Hair Club, Alana Reeves, a DC local from Hugh, and Alex Weiss. And I'm going to briefly just read everyone's bios so everyone knows who everyone is, and we're just going to get into the, into the conversation. Um, and once we wrap things up here, we'll open it up for the for audience questions as well. So everyone out there, start thinking of things that you want to, to ask. So Hair Club is an interdisciplinary research-based collaboration started in 2014 by artists Suzanne Gold, Kelly Lloyd, and uh, Michelle Lynn Schumade. Uh, is that correct or Michelin incorrect? Michelin Schumade. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, I will mispronounce everyone's names, which is horrible because my last name is Cardenbicas and everyone mispronounces that. Um, Hair Club mounts public events, curates exhibitions, and publishes books by artists whose work centers on hair as material, theme, or subject. Expansive conversations, events called hair salons, as well as merchant-making workshops are permanent fixtures of Hair Club's programming. In the summer of 2017, Hair Club taught a three-week intensive course called Hair, Hair, Hair at Oxbow School of Art and Residency in Saugatuck, Michigan. And in June 2018, 
They will be teaching a class at Humboldt University in Berlin, Germany. Hue is a web-based zine dedicated to the exploration of color in terms of its chemical composition, historical origin, and cultural significance. Hue is a reaction to a trend in color mix mixing that has resulted in the creation of ready-made color Caucasian flesh tone, portrait pink, flesh tone. These, or this pinkish hue caters to a specific demographic that is not inherently negative until one considers that no other color has been created to match non-Caucasian skin, skin tones, and its existence supports the idea that a color can be crafted and made to serve as a definitive representation of a particular ethnic group. Through quarterly publications, Hugh endeavors to explore technical and chemical compositions of a variety of colors and invites contributors to reflect on their personal associations with these hues, as well as share and enlighten others to varying cultural significance. Alex Weiss is a Maryland-based artist wrapping up a BFA at Townsend University. For Weiss, the process of nomadic sketchbooking has become a significant source of idea development. Through images of dominant figures in surreal landscapes, her goal is to communicate ideas concerning the repetition of history in contrast to everyday experiences. Her work has been featured at the DC Art Book Fair, Richmond Zine Fest, and Mac Rock Festival. So again, thank you all for being part of this and for hanging out with me and talking about your work today. Um, first question is, is fairly broad. I'm just interested to hear you talk about uh, why you're interested in publishing. Why have you started producing books and putting it out there and distributing it? Uh, well, for me, for, for Hugh, um, the kind of catalyst, as mentioned in the bio, was Caucasian flesh tone. Um, and I came across that color while I was working in an art store. Um, it was one of my first jobs post-college. And I was really just finding the DC art scene at that time. So I wanted to open up that conversation and doing it through a web-based scene, something that I could put you know, through Facebook and Instagram, really open it up to people and kind of let it grow. Um, that was of interest to me. Um, I wanted to do material study um, and research on these colors, but I wanted to hear from other people too. Um, so starting this scene has kind of helped me make connections um, in DC, but also um, with friends that are in New York and it's gotten a few national um, submissions, which has been really great. Yeah? Yeah. It's been nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Suzanne, what's, what's with publishing in you? So for Hair Club, it's sort of a similar um, thing in that we're organized thematically around something that uh, almost everyone has to deal with um, every day with their identity or with their ritual. Um, and so we started making books as a way of capturing those stories that uh, we found people were uh, wanting to tell us uh, and when we started Hair Club. Um, and it really started from this, uh, the, one of the first initiatives that we did was uh, to write this thing called the questionnaire. Um, Lots of puns going on with Hair Club, um, which were these little postcards that we would send out to people and have at our events and invite people to share their hair stories. Um, and we realized that there were so many hair stories that um, we just wanted to try capturing them. So first we sort of created an anthology and now we're sort of pursuing the uh, hair stories 
uh, as artist books, um, trying to unite book structures with sort of conceptually uh, with the stories that people want to tell. Yeah. So it's become a great way to create our own archive of uh, hair stories, uh, but also to collaborate more with more and more people. Um, starting in Chicago, moving to the East Coast, Baltimore, um, and then hopefully with our class in Europe, we'll continue to grow this archive. And so the, uh, the class in, in Germany, is this the first international venture for Hair Club? Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. Um, and already we're finding you know, so many uh, new ways of approaching the subject of hair. Um, from different cultural perspectives, um, and uh, yeah, just sort of different motifs and different tropes, different folklore, you know, uh, coming into the conversation. Yeah. And Alex, what drove you to, to start publishing your work? Well, it's just like a, a quick and easy way to get my artwork out there. And personally, I've like never really fit into one area, whether it's just like painting, drawing, or doing things um, digitally with illustration. So I feel like making my own niche or business has been like the easiest way to communicate with other artists, but also just kind of get my work in the world besides keeping it to myself. But specifically zines, since it's like really accessible to collect all of your work and then give it to somebody, they just have something that's more than one art print or one painting. It's like a little collection. Yeah. It's one of the things I find really interesting with publishing is the, the ability to compress information and distribute it through these things that are really legible and understandable. Um, one of the things I was, I was interested in, uh, Alex, like having you here at the table as well, is your publishing practice, or at least as documented in, in the bookshelves, is your own drawings and sketches. Mm -hmm. um, but Alana and Suzanne, these are two like larger projects that are outside of your outside of your studio practice. So I'd really like to hear you guys talk a little bit about where publishing fits within the studio practice, or how, how it actually affects the studio. Because there's, I know there's the idea of, of you as an artist producing your own work, then there's you as a curator or publisher. Um, and for you, Alex, considering like. I'd love to hear about how publishing your work and putting it out into the world has shifted the way that you're approaching the studio practice, or if it has. Mm -hmm. I guess you could say it has because I've definitely become a lot more confident in showing my work and then also having to travel and then put it out there for other people to see. But what's also gotten me really interested from like publishing my own stuff is communicating with other artists to move forward and collaborate with them to make things that aren't just my solo work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I guess like the way I kind of just attack like creating a composition, I'm not too shy about it anymore. Like if I get an idea, I just kind of have at it and work it out in whichever way possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm still really trying to find like the bridge between like my studio practice and publishing. Um, cause for a while, um, again, I started here like pretty close to when I just graduated college and I, I went to art school. Um, but then I was in a place where I didn't have a studio. So I guess he was kind of still a creative outlet during that time. Um, 
but now recently in the past few months I have a studio space um, but I find it kind of really hard to be there sometimes and then sometimes I want to be working on Hue um, but feel weird bringing a laptop into that space when I have yeah. you know studio mates who are oil painting <laughs> next to me um, and you know a lot of my materials in the studio are there's some art supplies but I also have a dedicated bookshelf um, that's probably going to grow while I'm there um, but yeah I'm trying to find that connection still and I think that might end up being through you know curation as a form of art making um, and discussion yeah yeah so the publication studio can really uh address similar questions, yeah. but in, in really, really different ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just the, I don't know, it's like for publishing, I don't necessarily need that studio space. So it's kind of, yeah, finding that balance between the modes of making. Like I don't need to be in my studio, like printing something. Um, but, um, yeah. But like Suzanne does need to be in her studio printing something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a yeah. as a printmaker. <laughs> true. <laughs> no, it's true. I think definitely the most obvious connection. Um, I'm a printmaker. I make books and I uh, I make large scale screen prints on fabric. Um, so the most obvious connection between the books and the studio practice would be sort of that connection of printmaking. Um, but also that collaborative aspect, I think is really what drives Hair Club um, at its core. Um, it was started by three of us, uh, Kelly Lloyd, Michael and Shoemate, um, who were uh, classmates at SAC um, in Chicago. And um, really, I think just that conversation that keeps going, I think conversation is a really big part of my studio practice. Um, and so trying to document that conversation as it keeps growing is where we start to bring in other voices and collaborations with other artists. And um, also my role with the books is very much as a designer. Um, so uh, when, you know, if we approach someone or someone approaches us to make a book for Hair Club, um, we, def we immediately start the conversation about what form should this book take? What, how would you like this? Uh, the readers or the uh, the viewers to experience this narrative or this series of images or whatever it is. Um, and so it's very much about uh, finding that perfect container for that narrative and for that hair story. Um, and then sort of um, they provide the content in sort of whatever way that, uh, that they choose, whether it's just the words and then uh, we kind of work out how to parse it out into a book structure or whether they really have a vision for the artist book um, from start to finish. So it's really a collaborative process and I, I just really enjoy that and I enjoy working with other people as much as I can. The studio can be, you know, a, a lonely place <laughs> yeah. um, when you're working alone. So this is definitely a, um, a really big part of um, having conversations with other people really uh, enriches that for me. So as a bookmaker and printmaker in your own practice, like having this as a collaborative endeavor, you're trying to figure out the best way to contain other people's stories and ideas. And some of your collaborators might have really different ways as to how things can physically work out in the book form than you do. Does it add a few more tools in your toolbox that you can then pull into your own personal practice? Totally, absolutely. I think just the 
practice or of trying to figure that out, logic that out. Because um, we work uh, with writers, we work with visual artists, we work with scholars, we work with people who just have these amazing stories. Um, and so it really feels like each project is sort of new and there's a new way to present it. And sometimes it is just, you know, prints um, uh, that really just need to be standalone or in a series. But when it's a book project, I definitely feel like each time it's a new way of trying to understand what the book can do and, uh, and how a book can be experienced, which then I very happily take with me back to yeah, my yeah. own bookmaking. So I've been like, I have a question that's half formed really about bookmaking and sequencing and, and constructing narrative within a couple covers. And when you're putting together a book form, like what's your personal ethos? What's your personal thought process of how to actually work through that physical object? Because as a bookmaker myself, I feel like there's a really messy point in the book form where you're not really sure where things are going or <coughs> where things need to be placed and how you're actually trying to tell the best the story in the best way possible if it is something like a, a narrative. Um, so how do you how do you approach that, or how do you start to figure out what the the shape of the book actually is? Well, for me, I kind of like look at all the work together, and I feel like that is kind of the artist becoming a mini curator in that sense of like your small work, even though there's like a lot going on, but you just kind of have to organize it in a sequence that kind of flows really well visually, or whichever depending like if it's um, you know visual like printmaking or narrative through words yeah. I think that's something where I always tend to talk about books as spaces like physical spaces that you're traversing mm -hmm. um, so thinking about the way to actually work through a sequence of your own artwork is also or maybe it's kind of a way to think about working through your own gallery space or something yeah because it's kind of like a traveling gallery space that goes different places. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of the books that, first books that we made for Hair Club was um, this book called The Book of Hair. And it was going to be this anthology of, uh, as we started the conversation in Chicago, we realized that there were a lot of people around us in school and just in the art world there that were making this amazing work about hair, whether it was using physical hair um, as a material or hair as a theme or a subject. Um, and so we decided that was sort of our first impulse to, to uh, sort of distill all that into a single art object. And so for that reason, we, were, we wanted to publish a book or design a book where we featured visual art and writing at the same time. Yeah. And so the book really became the perfect format for that and we chose an accordion structure because it could be, you know, stood up on a table and experienced almost like you would, you know, walls in a gallery. So you could actually sort of you can really like walk around that entire totally. structure. Yeah, and that was like a really insane um, process too, because it was one of the first books that I made, and I was printing these like eighty-four inch sheets of like photo quality <laughs> paper, and then trying like to fold it and bone fold it, and actually folded up into structure and I think uh, my dining room table no was taken up <laughs> by that for months. Um, but yeah, so it really is like this, this object. Um, but it can also be like this infinite flip through, right? Because there's no really beginning, middle and end to an accordion. It can just keep going. And so 
um, yeah, that was one of the ways that we approached the object of the book as the perfect kind of container for visual art and writing being experienced in, at the same time, narratively. Yeah. I like the accordion fold, too, because you can really experience it in so many different ways. Yeah. You have so many different, like, cross-sections of space through it. Totally. Well, how do you put a book together? <laughs> um, well, for you in particular, it really depends on each issue and depends on what people are contributing to it. Um, one issue, we only had one person contributing a poem, um, so that was in addition to an intro essay I'd written, which was research-based, um, but then some issues we have around 10 or so submissions, um, and in that, once it gets to that number, it kind of feels like um, like a game or like pattern making. Yeah. Um, like kind of finding the right pauses for things, um, distributing illustrations if we get any at the right points to give things breathing room. Um, sometimes it really works out where someone will write a poem that touches on something that is in the intro, because that's not shared with people as part of the poem. Um, so it's all kind of coincidence. Um, yeah, I like the description as like pattern making yeah. as well, because it can also describe like a texture or like what you're seeing initially as you're looking through the book without a really like, deep reading of it. You were all talking about publishing as well as, or in relationship to developing a, a dialogue within a larger community. So one of the other questions I had with you um, was about location and space. So why, why DC? Why Baltimore? What is it about these locations that you're interested in? I'm from DC. <laughs> Um, yeah. We just kind of stuck around, so it's kind of a practical matter. Um, but again, it's web-based, so it can kind of reach as far as it wants and however far people want to pass it along. Yeah. And as you said, so many people are contributing from other places as well. It's not just DC writers and artists are contributing to this. Yeah, I've gotten a couple of submissions from California from people that I have no connection to, which feels really nice because yeah, it's yeah. a really... It's a really new project still. Um, people from Detroit, Michigan. Um, yeah, so it's kind of slowly taking its steps um, out of DC. Yeah. Yeah, same. I'm from the area. Um, I'm not from DC specifically, but I am from Maryland. But I've just moved around so many times that I just like everywhere. And then I have family in DC, but I have friends like in the Baltimore area, but I also go to school in Towson. So I'm just kind of everywhere all the time, which has then given me the urge to travel and eventually like show my work, but it just keeps making me want to travel like beyond to see, um, you know, what else, like, I guess where my art could go. Because with the people I have met, like in Greensboro through doing events, or even um, another state, Richmond, um, like it's just really cool to see um, different people creating things that are opposite from what I'm doing or really similar to the point where we can kind of make something new happen come from it. Yeah. And Stan, you've hopped around a little bit more. Like this is your second sit in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. You're in Chicago mm -hmm. uh, in between and you're a New York native. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's going on in Baltimore that, that attracts you to that space? Well... Now that I've found that bagel place. Yeah. <laughs> um, now you're yeah. never leaving. <laughs> never gonna leave. Um, 
No, it's I, I love Baltimore. I think it's a really wonderful, vibrant city, um, really incredible art scene. Um, we wanted to move back there just because it's beautiful. Um, but in particular for art and for printmaking, I really have always thought of it as like a very uh, rich city for printed matter. Um, when I was there in from 2006 to 2012 originally, um, the music scene was a really big part of my world and my life. And um, every show just had really incredible show posters um, that were screen printed. Um, and I just remember collecting all of them. And I think that the memory of that and the visual that I associate with that time um, sort of made me want to run back. Um, and it's a really kind of uh, wonderful art scene, supportive and also varied and dynamic. So yeah, I like the DIY nature, the artist run art spaces. Um, so yeah, those are some reasons <laughs> for why I, I'm really glad to be back in Baltimore. Chicago was great, it was a moment of time. I was in grad school and so the community was really just you know other artists and um, I was there for writing, so uh, other writers um, kind of, you know, working closely together. It was much, it was easier to kind of get a sense when there was really a, something happening. So when we started to realize that a lot of people were making work about art, about uh, work about hair, excuse me, um, <laughs> then it was sort of like a no-brainer. We had to keep the conversation going. Um, but... Yeah, it's been interesting transitioning that conversation from Chicago, where it felt so particularly located, yeah. to the East Coast, um, and um, and then now we're sort of expanding it ever outward. Um, when we started Hair Club in 2014, it was mostly event-based, so we were um, doing monthly events and workshops and lectures around particular themes. And then now it's really transitioned into a teaching collective. We've been proposing these courses um, all over the place uh, and having the opportunity to teach in different places has also um, just been awesome uh, for gathering more, uh, let's say members of Hair Club um, and participants in the conversation. So that's been a great way to continue. That's a, a really great point and also a, a good segue to Max's question. Because um, everyone is kind of here at, at different points in in education, or have had like different uh, publication projects that have come about at different points, either before or during stints within the academia. Um, and I'd like to hear each of you talk about that, like going through your MFA program and uh, creating Hair Club after that, and now having this like teaching collaborative project with it. Um, Orlana coming out of undergrad and and, get, and producing you as a way to also keep the, the creative work going and Alex like where it's fitting for you within your BFA program and how you're uh, how you actually see that in relationship to the work you're doing in the school um. good thoughts <laughs> yeah. um, well basically for schooling um, my art book class um, was what inspired me to get into the actual making of the books, because there we I learned um, all the basic bindings like butter binding and accordion, and even the ones that you'll like find on the shelf. 
So that's kind of what got me like interested in the actual making process. But then it was my professor, professor Ursula Minervi. She um, like got me inspired to apply because she was doing some that were local. And it's kind of just like, um, I guess a little lottery. Like if you get in, it's cool, but if you don't, it's okay. Like you don't really win or lose. But um, yeah, just actually starting up um, as myself and my own brand, I guess has been kind of cool. And at the same time, kind of weird because you're a student um, finishing up a BFA and people are you know, asking you what you want to do and you're kind of already doing it. So then it kind of just gets confusing because then you just have to keep on thinking about the future and what you want to do in the next five years and so on. Yeah, but it gives you like a bit of a head start because you're, mm -hmm. already, you're already out there doing it. Yeah, it definitely um, gives me like a sense of confidence because I feel like I've created a small foundation to build from. So that way when I do approach gallery spaces, I don't feel like, you know, an insignificant art student. I feel more able to present myself as an artist. Like, how did you feel coming out of undergrad and uh, producing you? Um, I felt really nervous coming out of undergrad. Yeah. Um, it was kind of funny. I was lucky enough to take um, a language course at um, a neighboring university, but it was kind of, you know, like a more typical liberal arts college. And one of the exercises was asking people, like, what are you doing after you graduate? And everyone was like, I'm going to do this fellowship somewhere else. And then they yeah. got to me and I was like, I have no idea. Because um, <laughs> I'm moving back to D.C. and I don't know what art things are there yet. Um, so I felt really, really nervous graduating. But um, I got back here and just started exploring things. Um, Social media was really helpful for exploring art, and yeah, again, Q was a really good tool to kind of keep up um, research and writing practices and um, finding other artists around me or just kind of in my network. Um, and kind of kept me reading and just generally exploring and. You're coming at this again from like a another uh, aspect of hair club, where now you're actually using it or implementing it within teaching. Yeah, it really resonates. So, you know, there's all sorts of terror coming out of any program, <laughs> um, and in many ways, you know, the first hair club meeting we had was ended up being this like four hour long conversation about hair, where we realized that there was really something that we could keep pursuing here, and we keep joking that we keep doing hair club so that we can keep talking to each other about hair, yeah, yeah. you know, and keep that um, going. Uh, and also just about other things and um, meet up in exciting places. Um, but yeah, it's now sort of been folded into a larger practice for me, which is teaching, which is like the best thing I've figured out how to do with everything that I've learned so far yeah. um, and the best way to sort of keep that creative practice going. Um, so yeah, and it's, it's interesting that Hair Club has evolved at this point because there's so many stories. Uh, Hair Club, the methodology of Hair Club is uh, sort of necessarily 
expansive and associative. So we haven't, we, we keep saying that we're gonna eventually focus it in, but it keeps just growing and getting bigger. Um, and so what's kind of great is that we haven't been able to exhaust that conversation at all. And so what we've realized is that in order to organize it, we have to sort of uh, start to think of it in terms of a discipline and start to think of it in terms of <coughs> categorizing hair moments in culture, yeah. popular culture, uh, you know, history, art history, uh, fashion styles. And so uh, it's been this amazing opportunity to keep teaching, but then also we're starting to think of it in terms of this like discipline, like as though it's, you know, hair studies. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. More than um, just sort of a rolling conversation about hair, which it still also is. Yeah, I mean, so because I'm I'm also teaching now as well, and trying to approach like the book form or publishing from from that perspective. I, I feel like it opens up all these like really interesting uh, windows into the into the process and seeing other people work through the set of ideas you're trying to put out there and that you're also dealing with is just is, is really interesting um and that's one of the things that i was thinking about is like not just exploring your ideas through publishing and asking other people to also respond to prompts or respond to, to some of the questions that you have um, about either the work you're going through or, or the world or whatever but using like specific uh these specific like windows as departure points for a larger and broader conversation um, whether that's within the education field or whether that's within uh, publishing practices. So uh, what, are, what are some things you've like, learned about that or like, learned about your own process and, and practice of asking these questions through publishing? Yeah, well, that's, that's a great question. And I was really interested um, knowing that I was going to come and speak to you guys about you know, the practice of publishing, um, because I see these kind of touchstones of connection between like being an artist where, you know, like you have this sort of infinite possibility of what becomes content for your work or organizing, uh, publishing an initiative around a single subject or a single concept, because that's something that, that we absolutely, it's like, hair club goes both ways because on the one hand we're limited by the subject of hair and then on the other hand that's not a limiting topic at all so that yeah. it really becomes you know like can we talk about um you know britney's hair moment shaving her head in 2009 but then also talk about like you know um the practice of um you know in victorian the victorian era cutting off a young girl's hair was a signal to the men in the you know, neighboring village that this young girl was now ready to be married off. And so like, how do we hold these two like very disparate things in the same conversation? Yeah. Um, and is it enough that like they're connected just by this one topic of hair? Um, so yeah, I answered your question with a question. <laughs> I, I mean, really that's the best way to answer questions. <laughs> Blonde, do you have any questions for us? <laughs> Answer this uh, for the question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'll turn into a question, but um, yeah, this still feels like a very new project for me, and I'm trying to learn as much as possible um, in terms of publishing, um, trying to find new resources. Uh, I actually took a bit of a hiatus on this. Um, in, our, in our first year, we 
published uh, six issues, and now we're in the second year, and we're just finishing up our first issue for the year. Um, but in that time, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, it's gotten a lot more attention than I anticipated, um, and now I want to kind of take my time with each issue, and yeah. um, I want to kind of broaden how I do research for that intro essay that I'm putting out, um, make sure that it's like really thorough. I want to make sure my sources are good. <laughs> um, initially, I was relying on um, just kind of one source book as a starting point for everything. Um, but I found that kind of one of the problems I'm addressing in Hue, this kind of Eurocentric idea of art um, and how can we expand that um, that's something just through research I'm kind of getting trapped in myself because a lot of the research is from these kind of older white authors um, a lot of the prompts start with colors that are from like the British Empire um, and some of that is limitations of language I guess um, I can only research in English, so that limits things yeah. as a starting point. Um, yeah, I'm trying to kind of do justice to the mission of my zine. Yeah, one of the things I also found really interesting is the way that you know, it might have been the, the red issue, mm -hmm. um, but starting off like with a discussion of Winsor Newton and like actual chemical compositions of paints that create the different. Uh, colors, um, but also having to deal with like, a gap in the knowledge that's presented to you just from documentation of this was created with what recipe, like how it's actually put forth. So I can imagine there's there's so many uh, interesting avenues for research and also some really interesting gaps mm -hmm. in the research. Yeah, yeah, like that one one source that I usually start off with is um, Victoria Finlay's um, color a history of the palette, um, and it's. It's kind of funny because she's going on these adventures learning about these colors, but then she'll kind of say that she found some roadblock and instead of pursuing it or researching it after her trip, she just kind of leaves it. And it's kind of like, but why would you do that? You yeah. wrote this whole book to talk about this one thing or you dedicated a chapter to this color and you're just leaving it behind um, without pursuing it further. Um, yes, I get little bit frustrated with that so that's like a personal roadblock um, and then yeah it's like I'm out of school so I don't have access to like art store and JSTOR and those like great publications that you have yeah yeah. Um, but yeah just kind of yeah this this next year is like taking the time to find um, some more resources um, maybe looking at other artists that are addressing issues and looking to their work, what sources they're using, or referencing them. Um, so along, along those lines, like looking at other artists or other resources, um, and thinking about like the, uh, the publishing world is kind of small and, and large simultaneously, who are people that you're interested in? Like whose uh, zines and books are, are you following? Whether that's locally contained to Baltimore, D.C., or Maryland, or uh, at a, on a larger scale. If you were to recommend one zine to someone in this room, what would, what would it be? Uh, 
first thing that's coming to mind, and it's very, very different from what I'm working on, is um, my friend. She's an illustrator. Her name's Paige Mayer. Um, she does really, really wonderful um, work, and she is really dedicated to zine making. She has one called Exvoto, um, and it's has really amazing poetry, and she's been kind of, she's the first person I've seen that's been reviving like a comic book format. <coughs> I mean, I know that's really typical to zines, but she's utilizing it in a really different way um, to kind of frame some of her words even, not just images. Yeah. Um, but she's a really, really phenomenal artist. Excellent. I'll have to look that up because I'm unfamiliar with her work. Alex, who are you into? Um, well, the first artist coming to mind is Helen Joe because it's the one zine that I've um, like read and like just looked through for the artwork. I can't even remember the title, but I think it's like the one zine that she does have, and you can buy on like through her website. But specifically, her and an artist uh, named Lauren Yee, who's a muralist and illustrator, but. I like their work in particular because it um, features a lot of confidence in the characters that they draw. But each piece that they make, um, Lauren Yee spe specifically, um, it's just always amazing. Like every time I see her work, it's super surreal. There are just like creatures with different figures that may be aliens in space or just like crazy octopus people or something. They're just wild and it's stuff that you would only see like in your dreams so I just get um, inspired every time I see the work with Helen Joe she has a consistent style and I think it's really important for any artist to kind of figure out um, you know I guess their language in art like what their art looks like and how you <coughs> automatically associate the artist with it so like just watching those two artists has kind of inspired me to take those ideas into my own <laughs> Since I just moved back to Baltimore, I think most of my uh, reference for um, zines that I've been really enjoying lately is still in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and the first uh, press that comes to mind uh, was a Chicago-based press, and now they've moved to Los Angeles, another much farther away. But um, they're called Tan and Loose. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, they're awesome. I subscribe to The Smudge which is their monthly uh, risograph printed publication featuring um, really great sort of monthly content, um, columns, uh, comics, illustrations, art pieces. And I just love how they approach both the monthly publication format and also uh, explorations within the possibilities of risograph printing, um, which is a, uh, one of the original color duplicators. Um, uh, so you, the process is very similar to screen printing, um, where you do one color at a time. And so I think they really try and address like the specificity of that type of printing with uh, the publication. And it's just one of those things where like when it arrives, I immediately run and like read it cover to cover. Because um, they're also playing around with, with a layout in a really fun way and they have a new artist for all the covers and everything. Totally, yeah. yeah. Excellent. I recommend it. Before we wrap everything up, what's what's up next for you all? Uh, 
this is your chance to like plug. <laughs> yeah, the next issue of Hue uh, should be coming out next week, and it's Phoenician purple, which comes from milk snails, sea snails. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and where can we download Nation um, Purple? It'll be on my website, alana-reeves.com, the key section. <laughs> For me, if I stick with my schedule, I should be graduating in the fall, in December, which should be great. Um, over the summer, I do want to work on a collaborative um, either painting or theme project with an artist I know in Asheville, and hopefully get back into oil painting if I can. You know, just kind of focus on, um, I guess like what I used to be doing, um, which is just working to figure out what I want to do next, because I feel like I spent all of 2016, 2017 doing the zine thing and making books, and then now I kind of figure out, um, I want to figure out like what more I can do beyond that. Yeah. Whether it's either souping up my zines into actual professional artist books or just, um, I don't know, moving beyond that and getting other artists to help me make the zines. Yeah, it'd be really cool to see you push out into the, the artist book world a little bit. Mm -hmm. I dabbled in it um, like two summers ago and I just, um, I guess, lost confidence because it takes a lot of work and communication, especially with social media. I've noticed like you really have to be on it and kind of contacting artists 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's up next for Hair Club? So um, for me and Hair Club, uh, I'm heading to Berlin next week to teach this intensive course. Um, but the course actually started um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so we're each sort of taking it in turn to, um, to go there to teach um, together. Uh, so yeah, so right now I'm sort of in curriculum lecture writing mode. Um, I'll be giving a lecture on uh, hair as a place for sacred ritual um, and religious practice and yeah. long hair and it's many metaphors. So hair and literature and uh, mythology. Um, and after that, yeah, just uh, returning to the studio practice, um, finishing up a, a book. Um, so. That's sort of where the mind is right now. Yeah, pretty busy summer. Yeah. And curriculum and syllabus is also another like puzzle to kind of put together. Totally, yeah. That's all of my questions for you, but I guess here we can open it up to the audience. Does anyone out there have any thing? Question for Alana. So you said you were sharing a studio with oil painters. Is that like the primary medium you studied or like do or? No, it's no. just yeah, totally coincidence of what space was available. Yeah. So, what is your preferred medium besides like publishing and stuff? Um, kind of dabbling more in fiber art. I've actually been embroidering a little bit, which also feels funny to have a studio space for because you're just <laughs> like sitting in a chair doing a very repetitive motion in a small scale. Um, but yeah, I'm experimenting with that, and I still do wash painting. Um, and I have been working on one oil painting, but that's not, that's typically not a part of my studio practice, but I have the material, so I want to test it out. Because my follow-up question was going to be, if you were like primarily a painter, if like working on Hue had altered the way you like approach how you use color 
Um, strangely, it, it hasn't. Um, I think I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more curious about the colors that I'll pick up off the shelf. And also, having worked in an art store, um, I was really lucky um, that I had a really great manager that was very knowledgeable about materials, um, and also kind of like health and safety of using certain materials. So I keep that in mind a little bit more. Um, Anyone else? Cool. Well, uh, Suzanne, Alana, Alex, thank you so much for joining me here and for having this conversation with us. And one big thank you to the WPA and Natalie and Jordan for making all this happen. So, big round of applause. For So